Stinging waves, fox spear, lock is action, very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Beat your bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempex cat, Q has had enough of that. Beat me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday, November 16th, 2023, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That means we are live. So you can let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talking. Our studio line will be open for the next two hours, 646-668-2433. Give us a call. We'll get you in on the air. And what are we going to be talking about tonight? I'm really excited because we're going to be revisiting the pilot episode for Star Trek Discovery. That's right. We're going to go all the way back to 2017. And we're going to talk about the Vulcan Hello slash Battle at the Binary Stars. And I'm really, really excited to talk about this because it's been, what, six years since we discussed it on the air? And so, you know, let's see, how did it hold up with time? How did I watch it six years later? What did I think? Did it change? We're going to talk about it, and I'm really excited. But that's not all, because we also have some Star Trek news to get to some Star Trek birthdays, fan shout-outs, and fan scores for this week's episode. So stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. Don't go anywhere. We're going to have a lot of fun. But before we get too far, I want to introduce you guys to my awesome, my incredible Trexperts. And let's start off all the way in Las Vegas with Charles. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. And if everybody follows the news, what's the biggest story in Vegas? F1. What's the biggest complaint going on in Vegas? F1. What if we don't have I, any idea what that means, Joe? Usually when I say gotta, F1 to somebody, they leave the room. They get, you you got to be in the racing. Uh, hey, Eric. Hey, hey, Eric. Eric. F1, thing? buddy. Yeah. <laughs> That's the international racing. Which they had to shut oh, down. Form- Park- Formula One? They used to call them Indy Formula cars, yeah. One. Oh, okay. So Formula One. I'm Formula with you. Formula One, okay. F1, all the road construction for six months, messing up the strip, and now closures in the strip, and people dealing with traffic out there. Trying it to get, sounds like hell. How to get, it sounds like hell. How to get, how to get people to work. Post-apocalyptic. When, when there's big barriers in front of their building. I know what I'd do. I'd freaking move. I'd be like, this is ridiculous. Uh, no, nothing's worth well, it. I'm not Where moving. I'm just not going near the strip. <laughs> there you go. Stay away from the strip. You, you know uh, what, Zach? I, I enjoy stripping. I don't know. Because the cows are crossing. <laughs> 
road to get milk. We pay for work. Uh, good stuff like that. Mood juice. <laughs> No, it's going to be one of those shows. I can tell. I love it. Damn skippy it is. Wiley, baby. Wiley. David, that the the, the brown cows is where they get the chocolate milk from. That's a secret. Don't tell anybody. But that's (laughs) that's where the chocolate milk is. I want to say cow. It's true. I want to say cows. That's where the chocolate (laughs) milk comes from, the brown cows. So, yep, top secret. Uh, So, uh, let's, let's swing all the way to the other side to my trifecta, my triple play in Portland. And we'll start off with the triple guy himself. How you doing tonight, David? I'm pretty good. Now I'm looking for a brown cow. I'm looking for a brown cow. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's been really cold here lately for some reason, in my apartment especially. I found out that our heat event broke. And we're like, oh, so now we're waiting for a maintenance guy to take care of it. Brutal. <laughs> yeah. know, those maintenance guys, you just you got to watch it. You know, I'm they're telling no good, you. man. Every they're, single yeah, one of them. Do it. Yeah, they're, they're terrible. Trouble. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're looking for the brown cow, I guess. You just let out the they're, secret. They're going to give you a brown cow. And also from <laughs> Portland, we have our very own toy guy, Paul. How you doing tonight, Paul? Hey, buddy. I'm doing. I'm doing okay. Doing all right. Just hanging in there, man. It's been a, it, things are good. Things are good. Things are good. There you, you know, go. Things, things are good. Are, they are really, really good. You know, today we had a big union meeting at, at the office building. I'm the president, and we had a big meet, And uh, we had 25 people show up at the meeting, five pizzas. We had a legislator come to hear our problems and things. It was a really good turnout. I was very, very happy and uh it really made for a good day for me. So excellent, excellent. And talking about Star Trek tonight, what more could I ask for? Right? Yay! Ooh, sounds like you're living the dream, brother. I'm. I am living the dream. It was. It was a lot of fun. Good meeting. Very good meeting. So that's good. And wrapping out the trifecta in Portland, the one, the only Eric. How you doing tonight, Eric? Oh, man, I am doing really good, guys. I have been, I must admit, waxing a little philosophical this entire week about these two episodes, primarily based on the whole, like, opening of the first episode, which is Remain Klingon, and just all the philosophical and, like, socio-political ramifications of that statement, so I'm looking forward to talking about all of that tonight. And those awesome, awesome Klingons as well I want to get into. So we're going to get to that, though. Don't you worry, guys. We have a little bit to get to first, but we will get around to those awesome Klingons, I promise you. So uh, as of right now, uh, we have 183,995 followers on our Facebook page. Just I, I remember, uh, let's see, Eric, were you here when we broke 5,000? Yeah, that was uh, that was back in the day. That was about six years ago, five and a half years ago. We I remember I joined when I, we had about 4,500. And when we got those extra 500, we started uh, getting super excited because we hit 5,000. And then it just sort of took off from there. Yeah, it just it seems so long ago that five we were celebrating 5,000. And, you know, we're, we're approaching 185,000. Just Wow. So thank you to each and every one of you guys out there that 
makes that possible. And uh, speaking of that, you can go over to trucktalking.com. That's right, trucktalking.com. And over there, you'll find a blog with all kinds of great stuff. Uh, you can find bios about not only myself, but my awesome truck experts. And you'll find a link to our Facebook page if you don't already have that bookmarked. Click on the little blue Facebook logo in the corner, and that'll take you right to our Facebook page. On our Facebook page, every week I ask you guys questions, like what did you think about this week's episode? In this case, the question I asked you guys is what did you think about the Vulcan Hello and Battle at the Binary Stars? We like to collect what you guys think and see how that compares to us because without you guys, the fans, you know, what's the point of doing the show? So you can go over there and at the top of the page, pinned to the very top, there's a live long and prosper. And there's a question that says, Hey dude, where are you guys listening from? And just tell us where you're listening from and, and uh, leave a lot of emojis. You get, get my attention, you know, food usually works well, like little pizza slices and stuff like that. But uh, flags are cool too. Live long and prosper is excellent. And uh, look for a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim. And if you see a heart next to your name, you will be mentioned in a future fan shout out. And uh, we love doing our fan shout outs. And Eric, you want to get us started this week with our fan shout outs? Uh, do I ever? We're just going to take a short little jaunt across the pond and recognize top fan Carol Zorzo, who's saying hello to us this week from good old Bristol, England, uh, a place that uh, I've got family from around the way back in the day, and I would love to get back there someday and check it out. Carol, thank you so much for supporting our podcast over there in England. We really appreciate it. And top fan status means that you interact with us a ton on our Facebook page. You like things you send us emojis, you comment on things, and just, you know, that, that means a lot to us. There's, there's the whole feedback loop that uh, occurs then, and uh, I think that's where we love to live. So thank you so much for supporting the podcast, Carol. Also saying hello this week, just a little north of there, saying hello to top fan Tony Jokela. Tony Jokela is saying hello to us from Finland. It's probably Jokela. I think there's no J up there, if I remember right. So Tony Jokela. Thank you so much for saying hello to us from Finland, a cold and beautiful part of the globe. Also saying hello to us uh, this week, we are saying hello to top fan Jens Krieslow from the Rhineland, uh, the city of Palinate, Germany. Haven't heard of that one, but uh, definitely heard of the Rhineland. Very, very beautiful area. Uh, I cannot wait to go there. So Jens Krieslow. Thank you for saying hello to us from Germany. And last but not least on my list is Kristen Laconte, who is saying hello to us from Belgium. And Belgium is a really cool place that uh, looks – that's Brussels, man. That's like where the muscles is from, right, if I remember correctly. I know that's going back a few years. But <laughs> it's nice to know there's also a lot of Star Trek uh, support there as well. So thank you, Kristen, for saying hello to us. Charles, I'm going to hand this – uh, megaphone, shout out, megaphone, over to you. Oh, thank you, Eric. Let's start off with a welcome to Peggy Anderson. My husband and I are from Washington State. <clears throat> okay, well, which part of Washington State? Wet side, dry side? I prefer the uh, Tacoma area myself. Uh, welcome to Nor. Whoa, Razak from Hampton, Virginia. Welcome, Noor. 
Welcome, Mike Sarton, Dean's Chapel, Alabama. And also, a warm welcome to Ernie Belvins from Sub Kentucky. I'm going to pass this megaphone over to David. Hello. Can anybody, anybody hear me? Oh, bye. I can hear you. Sweet. No. I, <laughs> I'm going to give out a warm welcome to Andy Meternich from Florida. Uh, another warm welcome to Trimoni Barnett from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, oh, I got a top fan. Warm welcome to Stephen D. Yankowski from Tennessee. Oh, and I got another top fan. A warm welcome to Phil Blackman from a uh, Blackman from uh, Deetsville, Alabama. And I will pass it on to Paul. Thanks, David. I appreciate that, man. How are your tribbles hanging today, by the way? Uh, a lot less hairier than the picture showed, but you know. <laughs> there you go. I wasn't sure with Tribbles, man. Do you do you shave, pluck, or wax? What is your uh, preferred method of uh, streamlining your Tribbles? I haven't thought that far yet, but we'll see. All right, man. Tribbles well, you know, the weekend's natural. coming. I want you to let your <laughs> Maybe Tribbles you can fly snap your free, fingers. Baby. We can do all three. <laughs> <laughs> that would make a good picture for our Facebook page, wouldn't it? Okay, let's jump in here and see what we got. Thanks, brother. I've got all kinds of folks that we have here. Uh, first of all. I see a beautiful red and white flag, which can only tell me that we are visiting the phenomenal land of Denmark. That is right. And who's there? Who's saying hello to us from Denmark? Flag billowing in the wind? It's Klaus Kroyer Jakobsen. That's who it is. Absolutely magnificent part of the world, Klaus. I love knowing that there's uh, Star Trek fans up there. So great. Thank you for saying hello to us. And then, then my friends, you know, I know that Uncle Jim's fond of the word uh, trifecta but you know we're not really horse racing here we're really a group of individuals working together so i like the idea of troika because that's what i've got here is i have a fans three phenomenal top fans in a row from various parts of europe first of all i'm going to say hello to karian burma from the netherlands and karian is letting us know that they watched star trek in the 70s with my dad on a black and white tv set and karian <laughs> I am right there with you, my friend, because, yes, I remember uh, all of my early indoctrination to Star Trek was all on black and white. And when my parents finally sprang for a color television set, I thought I was tripping out on acid. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, look at those colors. Wow. Red uniforms, blue uniforms. Who knew? That's Who right, people. Knew? Paul was born in 1896. 1896. That's right. I'm just really well-preserved, and we can talk about how that works <laughs> offline. <laughs> Moving across a couple of borders, we're going to say hello to yet another top fan, Ionut Ayakomi in Romania, a magnificent part of the world with a very rich and very mysterious history. So Romania is pretty awesome. Uh, really amazing human beings hail from that uh, part of the world. So it's great to hear from you, Iona. Thank you for reaching out and being a fan of Star Trek and our podcast. And finally for me, still in the same general vicinity, if you will, um, I've seen a live long and prosper hand sign. I'm seeing a big beaming, smiling face. And that means that we're talking to Slawomir Kiwalaina in Opole, Poland. 
Slawamir, thank you for being a fan of the show. Thank you for taking the time to interact with us as frequently as you do. And uh, I know that winter gets crazy in Poland, so it is really, uh, we want to wish you a warm and uh, safe winter, my friend, and thanks for being a fan of the show. Passing this thing over to that batless wheeling maniac, Uncle Jim. Well, thank you so much, Paul. We've got a couple more uh, fans that we want to say thank you to. We want to start off by saying Thank you so much to Russell Bricks Castillo, who's listening to us in Porto Princess City in the Philippines. Thank you for being a fan. I have a top fan here, Chris Stone, who's listening to us in Southern Kentucky, right here in the old U.S. of A. We also want to say thank you to Brenda Tripp. I can't read that. <laughs> My eyes are bad. To uh, Brenda Trebro, Volume in Louisiana, USA, flashing us to live long and prosper, which is awesome. Right back at you, Brenda. Thank you for listening. And last but not least, another top fan, Lonnie Wright, who says, I was born in Odessa, Texas. I live in Dallas, Texas right now. So thank you so much to each and every one of you guys. And how do you become a top fan? It's simple. Just go to our Facebook page and interact with us, answer answer our questions about your favorite episodes, and you can earn a top fan rating from Trek Talking. What more could you ask for, Uncle right? Uncle Jim, though, wait a second. Didn't you tell me that one day years ago that you had to send a check-in to TrekTalking.com? And that was how you became a fan? No? Was that wrong? Yeah, we, we were back around 5,000 followers. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We evolved beyond that. Okay, Greg, you know, memory's funny. It's just funny how you remember things. Yeah, you had to, if you want, the more more zeros that were on the check, the bigger your your diamond got a little bit shinier. Okay. I thought we had to become famous first. Well, no, I remember you know. this. I, maybe that's how we became part of the left conspiracy for Hollywood slash Paramount. I, yeah, there I you go. I know it. how I became a top fan. I had a really incriminating videotape of Uncle Jim, and that <laughs> sealed the deal. <laughs> he had to let you in. Exactly. Yeah, ever since yeah. then, I was just like, you know, it's like you can either uh, let me in or I can post this online. You're gone. <laughs> so, guys, I don't know if you guys have seen this yet, but if you go to our Facebook page, um, or if you go to trucktalking.com, actually head over to trucktalking.com and you will see a beautiful piece of artwork. And on that artwork is yours truly, Uncle Jim, waving my bat lift. And I got to tell you, if you meet me at a convention, you can touch my bat lift. Okay? I'm not afraid to let you touch it. So if you come oh up my. and say, Uncle Jim. You can I also request, your bat lift. Uh, as I know, you can request to wield it if you don't care to touch That's it. That's right. And Eric, Eric has held my bat lift. Uh, wielded so, it, yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so if you it's see me at a convention, <laughs> you can definitely, definitely touch my bat lift. But wait, there's more. Not only is Uncle Jim wielding his bat lift, but Paul is snapping his cue finger getting into all kinds of mischief as well. And we also have our very own Eric in all of his Andorian splendor with his testicles and all, I mean, tentacles and all. Oh, 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 oh. so much for the family show. 
You guys I'm are just jealous. You don't have that sense. Trek talking right. was filmed before a mature audience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And in the bottom right-hand corner, we have our very own David, and he is buried in donuts. I'm sorry, tribbles. Tribbles, hey, tribbles, tribbles everywhere. Oh, sorry. Lots and lots and lots of tribbles. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, we have our very own sub-commander, Charles, and he's flashing to live long and prosper as a Vulcan. And I must say that I think we look great in that artwork. Would you guys not agree? No, yeah. yeah awesome. give a sh- who's the artist? Give a shout-out yeah. to the artist because he did yeah. a great job. He did a great job, and I got to tell you what. I have got a surprise for you guys, an honest-to-goodness surprise, uh, because I haven't been talking about our greatness and how wonderful this artwork looks just because I wanted to, although I did want to. And I urge everybody to head over to trektalking.com and check it out for yourself because it does look really good. I've been looking for an artist to catch our likenesses for a while now. And I was cruising around on Facebook one day, which I do all the time, and I saw this really awesome Star Trek The Motion Picture artwork of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and I really liked it. And so I reached out to the, to the artist, and I said, hey, hey, you know, are you interested in doing something for us? And, and he said yes. Um, so I sent them the pictures of my awesome Trek spurts and said, this, this is what the guys look like in real life. And these are the characters that they want to represent, you know, in our artwork. And he was more than happy to do it for us. And guess what, guys? Guess what? I have the artist himself, Neil Smith, online with us live right now. Welcome to the podcast, Neil. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Hey, Neil. Great job, man. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. (laughs) Thanks. Appreciate it. So I, I, I wanted to ask you, Neil, how long have you been, been doing artwork? Oh, my, since I was in my hand. A while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, all, it, it started a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. No, nope, that's a different franchise, but still. <laughs> so, like I said. Yeah. I saw your, your Star Trek, the motion picture, and that I really liked the way you captured the characters. And that, you know, that led me to say, hey, I think this guy could do something for us. And uh, the rest is history. Here we are. How long, yeah. did, it take, how long did it take to make up the Trek talking uh, artwork? Uh, probably about two weeks altogether. Um it was uh, the most the most amount of time was just spent getting all your faces correct because mm-hmm. uh, there's it's a little difficult to reduce a face down to a handful of lines and uh, so that was I kept on going back and forth looking at the photos looking at the drawing looking at the photos looking at the drawing to make sure that you know instantly you're recognizable. Nice. Well, I. I... I think everybody looks, you know, like they're supposed to. I mean, Paul looks a little mischievous with with that, you know, with the snapping of the finger, but Paul always looks that exactly way. Exactly how he should look. Um, I am often up to no good, you know. It's uh, part of my brand. 
thanks for thanks for making sure the whole world knows that. That's great. Yeah. Those, those finger snaps make things happen. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> you know, you never know. You you never can tell. So uh, yeah, so I reached I reached out to Neil and uh, we were uh, working back and forth. Uh, first, I got a black and white of of it, and uh, then he worked on it from there. Now that the black and white drawing, that that original one, that is going to be. I'm going to put that on bags, uh, tote bags that we're going to give away at conventions. How many times do you guys go to a convention and you buy a bunch of stuff and you got to walk around with it? You don't. They don't give you bags at conventions. Well. Truck Talking is going to do that, and we're going to have some of those reusable bags printed up with that artwork right on the side of it. So uh, Trek Talking is going to be immortalized everywhere, thanks to Neil. So I think that's awesome. We're going to have some coffee mugs, some T-shirts, uh, 11 by 17 prints that the truck spurts can sign when we're at conventions and things of that nature. It's going to be a lot of fun. So anyways... So, uh, Paul, did you want to have any questions for Neil about the artwork or anything, anything like that? No, it's mostly just a chance to express, uh, I think, collectively for all of us on the show, man, uh, our gratitude. It's extremely kind of you to do this. Um, it's fun. It's a great image, and it just really uh, it lets us all kind of express ourselves. And, uh, and capturing something like that for a, a really diverse, wacky group is no small task and uh, we just really appreciate you man so thank you uh, so much uh, I would like uh, I'm assuming there is great Star Trek DNA in your background man do you have a favorite uh, arm of the franchise that you are most uh, enjoying well first of all thank you for the, the kind words um, I think uh, well my favorite Trek of all time is the motion picture mm-hmm. um that was that was something that has been seared into my brain in 1979 when I was a kid, and uh, just everything about it visually, storytelling, music, uh, everything was just top notch for me. So that's that's my favorite of all time. I was actually introduced to Trek in the uh, early to mid 70s with the uh, animated series. Excellent. That was my first. <laughs> yeah, and um, excellent. And and a couple of years later, I found out, oh, they did a live-action show of my cartoon that I like. And uh, so I started watching that and then uh, wondering where Erickson Mress was, but, you know, that's okay. And uh, then uh, then the films came out, and then the, the rest is history. That's so great, man. I love that's kind of the reverse course compared to a lot of folks, uh, starting with the animated show. Yeah. So I think that's fantastic. But what a great uh, way to enter a whole universe. So, But uh, thank you, man. It's great to have you uh, in the family. And I, I think that uh, your work's going to be getting a lot of eyeballs for a, quite a long time. So thank you, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm very happy with, with it myself. Uh, Eric, did you have any anything you wanted to say to Neil? Well, uh, I'm just well. I'll start out, Neil, by echoing Paul's thanks. Uh, it just is a fantastic image. I do think it's nice to hear you say that it wasn't easy to capture the likenesses because it seems to me that that would be a particularly tough um, thing to do. And in fact, when we review comics and stuff on the podcast, we'll talk a lot about the art and how well it does capture um, the you know, person's likeness. So I'll just say, man, 
I think you nailed it, dude. Um, like, seriously, I, it, there was no question the second that I looked at this, I was like, holy crap, I know these people. There was no warning when Jim sent this to us, right? He just sent it to us, and I was like, I know every single one of these people, and I know who they are, and I can capture their their age and their likeness and just, like, something about their personality uh, in the art. So, you know, whether the fans out there know us personally or not, I think they can – know from us that this piece of art is not only cool looking and like looks really awesome on the web page and stuff, but it literally, I think captures our personalities. And to me, whether it's the line work or the color or the composition or whatever, it's a, it's an amalgamation of all those things. And I think you really nailed it on this one. I really, really like it. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's, I guess that's my long winded way of just saying thank you. <laughs> Thanks man. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I love the 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 little details like um well first let me ask you just I guess I'm gonna ask you one technical question. So it it appears to be sort of a water colored sort of look. Did you do this thing entirely digitally? Did you do some by hand? Was it a mixture? Uh we don't need to know all the details, but I'm just curious on the basics. No, no, that's fine. Um the original line drawing was done by hand on paper. Uh, that was then scanned in and uh, brought into uh, Procreate, which is a drawing app uh, on the iPad. And um, then everything was done digitally. Okay, so all the coloring and everything was done was done digitally. That's great. I love it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, nice work. Thank you so much. Uh, I don't want to take up too much time, so I'll pass this on. David, do you have anything you want to say to Neil here? Oh uh, yeah, uh, thank you. Th this photo looked really awesome, and I was surprised to see myself there. I was like, because like what Eric said, we had no warning about this ever coming up, and I was like, oh, whoa, is that me? At first, I didn't recognize myself, because it, it looked almost exactly like me, and really good job, by the way, of portraying the, uh, the, uh, the photo size, comparing to bringing it down to like what we see now, but it's just like, that's it's interesting. I mean, Eric, did you think that that looks like me? I mean, you hung out yeah. with me the most. So I was yeah. Yeah. No, it, it looks exactly like you did. It really does. Nice. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, yeah. I just want to say thank you. And that was, that was a, a good surprise actually, but I do have one question. <laughs> uh, yeah. Are those donuts or troubles? I can't really tell. <laughs> <laughs> They're beignets. Harry beignets. There you go. <laughs> Getting a little French. Yeah, well, no, French. Cool. Harry it's, Beignet it's... Is, a, is, a, is a long lost Star Trek character. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. But yeah, uh, it looks really awesome. I, I, I want to thank you for your time and effort. And uh, yeah, I guess that's pretty much all I wanted to ask. And that brings oh, it right please. around to Charles. Well, I love your choice of, of brown robes for mine. I know Jim's talked about for several years trying to say, I'd love to get a caricature of all our all of the entire crew just so we could use it for promoting the show. And out of the blue, he just did it. It's like he showed the picture, and I kind of like, okay, wait a minute, what's this? Then I realized what the picture was like. Oh, okay, that's got to immediately be shared to my Facebook page and show up to my friends. And I got a few likes out of it. And 
Now I got to beg Jim for a uh, small, probably a small poster, so I can bring it to a Star Trek club meeting, so I can promote the show from my table when we're when we're meeting. Oh, absolutely, cool. absolutely. And uh, one of the things that uh, was important to me when I talked to Neil, oddly enough, I talked to <laughs> when I talked to Neil, I was up on the roof. Of the, of the building that I maintain with my partner. And it, it happened to be a really nice, beautiful, sunny day. And I was up on the roof working, and um, I'm looking out at the mountains of Vermont, beautiful day, uh, talking with Neil about the feel of this, of this artwork, what, what I was after. And, I, you know, I wanted to capture um, us, but I wanted to capture us, and, you know, as a whole, as a group. So that when people look at this picture, they know what we're about. And I think that Neil did it perfectly. I think he took the words that I was saying, and, and I think he captured exactly what I was looking for right to the T. So I'm, I was very, very pleased with it. And I didn't want to tell you guys. I wanted to surprise you guys. Yeah, nice surprise, Jim. Thank you. It was like a Christmas present. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, unfortunately, though, I wasn't able to shrink it down enough to make it look uh, to keep all the details. So um, I had I, I asked Neil if he could do that, which so the one that appears on our Facebook page, um, it, uh, Neil actually did, because when I tried to put it on there, a lot of the details got lost. So Neil was able to keep it looking the way it's supposed to on our Facebook page. Hmm. Now, if you go to TrekTalking.com, you'll see Neil's original on there uh, because I was able to use the full high res one on our, on trucktalking.com. So, and that same one will be on all of the t-shirts and everything. So I'm really excited about it. So, so I actually got one more question for Neil really quick, actually, if that's okay. I'm just curious. Yeah, do you actually have like a Facebook page that we could go to to look at more of your art at all, or do you or have any sort of kind of presence? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I I'm on Facebook, um, and uh, I do a lot of artwork, and I do a lot of scale model builds, a lot of Star Trek models and stuff. I do uh, I do that on the side, uh, commission builds for other people and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, you, you can, you can find me on Facebook. So what's your, how do people find you on Facebook, Neil? <laughs> That's a good question. I have no idea how you Is find Is it your Neil Facebook. and what's your last name? I'm yeah, it's Neil Smith. It. And I'm going to see if I can search yeah. it right here real nice. quick. Neil, when I search for Neil Smith, I get trektalking.com. So potentially we have already, uh, yeah, here we go. Cool. Which uh, which spelling of Neil is it? Because I know there's a couple. There's Neil Diamond. There's you know. It's N E I L. N E I L. Okay. Thank you, Neil. Yep. Yep. Cool, man. So I, it's funny because you're not I, the Neil I, Smith who posts in Micro Galaxy Squadron Fleet Collectors, are you? <laughs> no. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's funny that you mentioned the motion picture because that was the picture that attracted me to your style. Um, when, when I yeah, saw that, that art one, that one was the fun. motion picture, it really it, it spoke to me. And I said, "This 
this guy understands Star Trek. He understands the motion picture and captured captured it perfect in this image. And that is what I was after for Trek talking. And that's, Wait, so Neil, have you Neil, have you seen the new? Then we talked about it already on the podcast uh, several months ago. But have you seen the new 4K motion picture? Yes. Uh, what do you think? Yes, I have. Tell us, give us, give uh, us your like two seconds on that. My two seconds is I I love the fact that they finally were able to give it uh, that final color pass. Mm. Um, and uh, it gives it such a, a, a character, the film itself, that it hasn't had before. Because um, it was very – the coloring of the film was very bland initially because um, they were never able to do anything other than just a, a quick, uh, basically, equalization of the colors uh, uh, on the film. So they were able to do something a little bit more creative, something more of what you know, Bob Wise really wanted to do had he had time. And um, I think it just looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think you'll get any disagreement uh, from the gang here. The coloring is amazing. The lighting updates are amazing. Yeah. It's the, the, the most. The, yeah. Go ahead. The look and feel of Viger. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, let's, Neil, if we're going to talk about the motion picture, there's one thing we absolutely have to talk about. The Klingons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Klingons I think is one of the best opening scenes I've seen in any movie. The battle cruisers look outstanding. Mark Leonard as the Klingon commander, just incredible. And the Jerry Goldsmith soundtrack to go along with that. Just what a way to Yeah, it, it doesn't get any better than Jerry Goldsmith at that point, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's his his. That's that's such an incredible score, but I mean, yeah, that was that was the first appearance of of the ridged forehead Klingons, and um, yep. it, what it's really funny because when uh, Discovery came out and everybody was all up in the arms saying, "Oh, they made the Klingons look different," I was like, "Hey, I remember this from 1979." Yeah. And everybody was saying, "Hey, totally. they made the Klingons look different," you know. <laughs> Yep, yep. It goes on and on and on and on. And, and actually, Neil, I don't know if, if you're uh, aware of this or not, but um, they just released on vinyl the Star Trek the Motion Picture, the complete soundtrack. The one that's the one that's been yeah. out for all these years is only a, a single LP version, which is a condensed version. Uh, there's actually a, a double. LP version, which has all of Jerry's music from the movie, which of yeah. course I had to pick up. <laughs> so, because I just love his yeah. soundtrack, I love his music. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's like been several decades since I've had a record player, so I had to pass on that one. But I do have it on uh, on CD. Excellent, very very good. Well, I just I just wanted to introduce you to the guys and. Uh, you know, the guy that did our artwork, you're going to be immortalized with Trek talking. <laughs> so you're now part of the family. <laughs> Welcome. As it Thanks, is. Neil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Neil, all we can Welcome. say here is uh, ink long and prosper, brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks for making a twin of my liking. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're very and welcome. Buried in trouble. We, was, <laughs> I appreciate it. And, uh, <laughs> yep, the, the hairy trouble. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much uh, for hanging out and for talking with us for a couple of minutes and, and sharing your story with us, Neil. Oh, my pleasure. And you're welcome anytime. We're live every Thursday. And you're welcome to call and chat with us anytime you want to. Just pick up the phone cool. and let your fingers do the walking and give us a call and tell us what's on your mind. Cool. Appreciate that. All right. Well, thanks a lot for doing our artwork, and thanks for calling tonight. Sure. Good night. All right. Have a, have a great night, Neil. Good night. Good night. All right. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, All right. guys. That, that was Neil Smith. As I said, he's the artist of the new talking um I haven't come up with a name for a gang. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, portrait. Well, if you were uh, if you were the thirteenth Doctor, you would call us the Fam. But uh... oh, the Fam. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, wait! I got to tell you guys this funny story before we get on to Discovery. I got to tell you this. Thanks for mentioning Doctor Who. Okay. Yeah. All right. So my wife had to go to a hearing aid. Had to go to an appointment, and so I drove her to her appointment. I'm sitting in the car. I'm really bored. I'm looking around and I notice that there's a game store across the street. So I told my wife, I'm going to go hang out at the game store for a little bit, see what's going on. You know, I'll, I'll be here when you get out. So I walk into the game store and here's all these gamers and I walk in and they're all sitting around and they're arguing about Doctor Who. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and, and I walk, like, oh my God, I got it. Because the big argument that they were having, let me see if I can remember it and not screw it up, is that <laughs> all that all of the all of the um, the what's the planet that the doctors come from? Gallifrey. Gallifrey. All of the people from Gallifrey are not doctors, and that Doctor nope. Who destroyed Gallifrey himself to save the universe. From being destroyed by the evil Daleks. Am, am I am I right that or wrong? That is true. On that? That's yeah. all true. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm so impressed that I remembered that. And, <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> and they were all they were having this like intense debate about Doctor Who and how everyone from Gallifrey <clears throat> isn't a doctor and only certain doctors are doctors and other doctors aren't doctors. <clears throat> and I was just standing there thinking to myself. Is this what it sounds like when we have an argument about the Klingon ridges and stuff like that? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it yeah. sounds like. <laughs> you know, is, is this what we sound like to other people? And yeah. uh, <clears throat> not being a huge Doctor Who fan, I knew some of the stuff from you guys mentioning it and from watching Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who. Um, but I was just chuckling on the inside, just just standing there as an observer <laughs> listening to this doctor this and it was an intense debate this wasn't mm-hmm. just like a conversation oh, I mean, sure. it was a heated you know debate well i mean when you're talking like united states debates about doctor who you got to be pretty ingrained because it's not in the dna like i feel like doctor who's in the dna of people who grew up in the uk and maybe some of our listeners in the uk can you know confirm or deny that but uh it's like star trek is to us right so if you get people arguing about doctor who in the u.s you know they're passionate about it. Yeah, you better prepare to bring <laughs> yeah. the bat with you. Yeah. yeah. 
I love some truck talking cards at that game store. Nope. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, David, not Doctor only bring the fat you're bringing your screwdriver with Bring your team. sonic screwdriver, that's right. Sonic <laughs> screwdriver. I'm not much of a Doctor Who fan because I get confused about who's who. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Trust me, you're not alone. But uh, it My just God. struck me. I just it, I, it had it made me chuckle, and I had to tell you guys about it. All right. Well, that yeah. aside, uh, we're going to talk be talking about the Vulcan Hello and the Battle of the Binary Stars, which was the, the um, pilot episode of Discovery. But because of the nature of Discovery, uh, you know, not being episodic, uh, being uh, more serial. Um, you know, the pilot episode became two episodes and then became three. So we're just going to talk about the first two tonight. Um, and, you know, the Vulcan Hello aired on CBS television. Yes, the first episode. This is something that people seem to forget. The original episode, the first episode, the Vulcan Hello, aired on television. Regular old broadcast TV uh, back on September 24th in 2017. Uh, they had a special preview broadcast um, to get people hyped and get people into it, basically to make them subscribe to what was then called CBS All Access. Because if you wanted to see the second part, you had to have CBS All Access. All right. So when mm-hmm. it premiered, and Jim, CBS at that All- point, if I remember right, it was like five ninety nine or six ninety nine to have CBS All Access. It was like it was like yeah. six or seven bucks a month. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. And and uh, so when they <clears throat> when they aired it on C on CBS All Access, they dropped the first two episodes on you. So you got the Vulcan Hello and Battle at the Binary Stars. But if you watched it on television, you only got the first half. And yes, it was CBS All Access at that time. Uh, the episode itself was was viewed by 9.5 million viewers. When it aired on CBS All Access, set a record at that time. So, uh, so uh, Discovery was very well received in that first when it first aired on television at that point in time. When it moved over to CBS All Access, that led to record subscriptions on CBS All Access. People wanted to see it, and they were subscribing to CBS All Access. Now. At that time, CBS All Access uh, was having <laughs> and had Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> and uh, that was at that it. point, a lot of people had to watch it on Netflix yeah. uh, internationally, but not here in the U.S. Here in the U.S. and Canada, it was CBS All Access or nothing. Um, so if you head over to Rotten Tomatoes and check this out for yourself, uh, Star Trek Discovery, the Vulcan Hello, scored 100, a perfect score on their tomato fresh-o-meter. And the second episode, Battle of the Binary Score Stars, scored an 88. So when you combine those two together, you come up with an average score of 94 for the pilot episode of Star Trek Discovery, which we're going to talk about tonight. So there's the background, a little bit of background on Star Trek Discovery. I did ask you guys, our Facebook fans, to score the two episodes on a score of 1 to 10. And, Eric, what did our Facebook fans have to say 
And before before we get to that, though, I do want to preface it by saying that Star Trek Discovery is a very uh, the fans of Star Trek Discovery usually fall on one of two spectrums, and there's not much in between. Either people love it or people hate it, and there's very little in between room. It's been a little bit uh, of a divisive show. I think that's a fair thing to say. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at Star Trek Discovery today on Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter is eighty five percent, but that audience score is only thirty seven percent for the series. So I don't even know what that means. Yeah, and it's really uh, it's like when you you know when this show debuted right two thousand seventeen right the world was a little bit different. Right. And nowadays, like uh, it's almost really hard to even put any credence in metrics like this anymore. I mean, some of the aggregators try to do a good job, but but when people decide that they want to aggressively band together and not like something and go after either a particular celebrity or a particular show and they don't like it for whatever reasons, because they have a right wing, whatever, typically, uh, it's very bot generated and it's, it's usually not the case that it's like millions of angry fans that are actually getting together and they're all, they have their panties in a bunch. You know, it's, it's usually when you see a really low audience score like that, it's usually a sign that there's some shenanigans going on. Yep. And unfortunately a lot of that's technological. So yep. it's, it's yep. like, I wouldn't put all my credence in believing that the audience score is legitimately that low. Um, I just wouldn't. No, and and we're gonna we're gonna actually gonna talk about that tonight because when we give the fan scores that we're gonna give you guys tonight that Eric is gonna give you in a couple of minutes are the actual fan scores that were given by you guys by you guys on our Facebook page and unlike the ones on Rotten Tomatoes, um, you can go on our Facebook page and read them for yourself. There's no shenanigans involved at all. Um, you guys said, well, I give it a 10 because I love Burnham, whatever. Um, it's right from you guys. There are no, there's no shenanigans. There's no games. There's no smoke. There's no mirrors. Um, it's right from the fans, right to our page. So Eric, Eric, I'm kind of, I'm kind of thrilled here. What did our fans say about Discovery, Vulcan, Hello, and Battle of the Binary Stars? Well, our amalgamation of fans was uh, very diverse, as we would expect it to be. Alan Jose Francisco said, Discovery is one of the best treks ever. I give it a 20. I have spoken, and this is the way. (laughs) Alan Jose, we all appreciate that, and we average your score down to a 10, brother. (laughs) Top fan Stephen Joseph Anderson said, a solid 10. The way you describe it can be 1 to 10, to judge the first two episodes. Hmm. Great start. Rest of the series, I think it's pretty much de- declined, but hoping for a great wrap in the last season coming up. I think that uh, he's saying that the he doesn't like the later seasons as well as the first ones. And don't forget that Discovery gave us strange new worlds. Interesting take. Thanks, Stephen. Top fan, Matt uh, Matand Sarah Hall. Matand Sarah Hall said, mixed bag. Yay for new track and trying to bring a new audience, but too many missteps and departures from canon. Then it went downhill with that jump to the future. Five out of ten. Top fan Diane J said, is the scale one to ten? I'm going with either nine 
solid entry into that world and very underrated in my opinion. So a nine from Diane. Thanks, Diane. Michael Goth said one of the better season one disco episodes. I give it an eight. This is uh, in reference to the first episode. Jerry Lindo gave it a 10. Discovery was an awesome addition to Trek lore. And while there were stumbles, it's no less than excellent in my book. Top fan Bob Power gave it a five. It was great to see a new era begin. Michael, yo, nothing, or excuse me, Michelle, yo, nothing more to say there, but they lost me at mutiny. That just crossed a line, in my opinion. Thanks, Bob. Top fan Alexandra Peel said, best Star Trek ever, smiley face. I love Star Trek Discovery, heart. So I give it the maximum 10 exclamation point, winky face, and live long and prosper. That is a lot of emojis, Alexandra. Thank you so much. Top fan Jan Payne said it was brilliant, beginning for Discovery, 10. Top fan Lee Edmonds said I give it about a 6. Story is great, but the swearing, and in particular... The wokeism really puts me there on. There you go. There we go. <laughs> so obvious and off. Mm-hmm. We, could talk about, we could talk about the wokeism. Thanks, Lee. Uh, top fan Jeff Barnhill said 8+, but I really hated those retconned Klingons and those long sequences of dialogue in Klingon with the subtitles. Hated them, double exclamation point, but not deal breakers. That's an 8-plus from Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Top fan Linda Derrick said seven. I thought a mutiny was a poor way to start the series, and the Klingons make up garbled their speech. I'm really surprised they didn't record the dialogue separately. Oh, I have a lot to say about that. Let's talk about that, because I'm very interested in that myself. Yeah, I'm I'm, watching. Uh, Beverly Goldsworthy gave it a five. Couldn't take to the new Klingons, nor be bothered with all the subtitles. Didn't care enough about the rest of the cast to carry on watching. Beverly. Beverly, give it a chance. I'm telling you. Uh, you give it a five. Uh, it might go up if you give it another chance. And Craig Lamson said, I give it an eight. It was very, I, I was very disappointed with how the Klingons looked and were portrayed in the new series. Even by season two, I was still disappointed. But as far as the story, it was something new and exciting. And as someone mentioned earlier, it gave us strange new worlds. I, have, I, I want to talk about that, too. I have always loved the character of Michael. She's pretty awesome. I do miss Michelle Yeoh's character. Philippa was just awesome as a Section 31 agent. That's our mirror version, of course. As for the others, they're great characters and an awesome family, and I'm going to miss the show when it ends. Thanks, Craig. That, you guys, averages us out to a fan score on the podcast here of 7.1. Not too bad. You know, that is not too shabby. That is absolutely a passing grade. And, uh, well, we'll talk about the risks that uh, Star Trek Discovery took. But, you know, it was a risky show, and 7.1 ain't too bad. Mm-hmm. Better than 5. No. I mean, for a show that's full of wokeism, it's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. So it's hard not to laugh. I, I, yeah. I, uh, it's, uh, wait, yeah. Uh, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. We'll say I, that. <laughs> because as I was I was talking with uh, Charles and David before the podcast, generally I'll watch an episode once or twice, maybe three times, so that I can prepare for the podcast. And then after that, I generally don't go back and watch them again because I've already watched them enough times for the podcast. Uh, so I haven't watched Discovery since 2017. I went back started with the Vulcan hello, went on to Binary Stars, and I just kept on going. 
and watched the entire first season, loved every minute of it, got into the second season, realized just how awesome Captain Pike really is, and kept on going. And it just reignited my excitement and my love for Star Trek. That's how good I think Discovery is, and I'm truly, truly going to miss it. As far as the first two episodes go, uh, Klingons, I have to disagree with what our fans said. I thought that the Klingon uh, subtitles was brilliant because they subtitled them in Klingon. If you put your subtitles on, it's in Klingon. And then it switches to English. And then, of course, the, the subtitles go away and we hear the English being spoken by the Klingons. I personally thought right, that but, was... Right, Jim, but I think what the... what may, And I'm curious what you think about this. What I think maybe the the listener was referencing was the fact that over the course of those first two episodes, there are quite a few minutes of you know, subtitle reading. Like, all, so they chose in Star Trek Discovery to do all the Klingon stuff in Klingon. Um, and I think that we heard a few comments about that. We heard some people reading subtitles was either comfortable or not comfortable. Some people thought that the makeup did or did not interfere with you know, the way people spoke Klingon, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I'm curious as a lover of Klingons and stuff, you know, there was quite a bit of subtitle reading over the first couple of episodes. And some people find that uncomfortable and I don't, I don't, you know, disparage them for that, but I'm just curious what your thoughts were on that. Well, I thought that, okay, well, first let's talk about Klingons a little bit. Every, every, until discovery, the Klingons that we saw, the wharf, uh, Christopher Lloyd in Star Trek three, even, you know, in Star Trek six were basically just humans with rubber heads. Correct. So for them to speak, uh, what, well, I, I, I'm going to challenge you on that. What do you mean by that? Because I do think that we got quite a bit of, you know, Klingon culture as Worf explores his human slash Klingon, sides throughout all of TNG and then a little bit in DS9. So so what do you mean the Klingons I'm not challenging you, I'm just saying what do you mean by Klingons were just humans with rubber heads? Well, Christopher Lloyd had a rubber head glued on him. His mouth was still his. No, but I mean, what are you talking about relative to the actual character of the Klingons? The actual, like, culture or the way they're represented? Something, I mean, forget about the makeup. No, because no, because one of the one of the listeners said that it was garbled and you couldn't understand what they were saying, and because they're not speaking Eng, they're not they're not human speaking English. They're Klingon speaking Klingon. Why would a Klingon speaking English have uh, perfect English? Well, I'm you know I'm I don't know what do you Paul was that you Eng? I want to hear what you have to say about it too. It was right, and you know, I'm uh, I'm going to hold off on a, a lot of my opinions on this until I have a little bit more, you know, until uh, it's my turn or whatever. <laughs> but I I do think that like uh, you know, it's uh, I really think that uh, an interesting comment for me was the one that uh, that uh, Neil made at the start of the show. Right? It's like I remember everyone freaking out when they yeah. showed different Klingons in you know the the motion picture. Like, oh wait a second, it's different, right? Oh my God, it's different. You know, people are so change averse they just you know sorry they're like shit the bed i mean it's ridiculous right jim said testicles earlier so i figure you know we can say whatever we want now right i mean jim that's the tone so that's how i'm going a new bar has but been it set. is it is ridiculous how people are so 
change a verse. And the thing with Discovery is it had a, a really strong visual style, and it was really daring, and it tried to do something different. So more on that later. But um, I have no problem with subtitles. I mean, I've seen a billion frickin' foreign movies. I mean, if you have a problem with subtitles, I would say you probably need to get expand your access to cinema and and not be so easily jarred i mean my god everything's got subtitles these days i mean for crying out loud but an interesting but an interesting point that you just said you said cinema and i do think that star trek discovery reads as a piece of cinema versus a piece of kind of old school television from the early 2000s And, and, and i don't think and I don't think there's anything wrong or right with that. What, but what I do think is that the paradigm is different. So when we watch Star Trek Discovery, we watch it as a piece of cinema, which I think is Absolutely. what you're saying, right? Yeah. And, when I, and I'm, here's the thing I would say is I think some of the fans, though, do have a point, right? Because it's really – I would just watch these two episodes again today. So it's super fresh in my mind. I didn't think I was going to have a chance to, but somehow I did. Uh, but – you know, I have no issue with the way they depicted. I think they took some great visual designs, but it's super, super, super clear that um, they had these actors do their dialogue recording with the, you know, uh, with the dental prosthesis in their mouth. Yep. And wow, it really shows, especially yep. the the actor who played Takuma. He yep. is struggling mightily. That's hard to, to get basic diction out. He just sounds like he's got marble mouth. I feel and he so slows bad it way down. Eye. The tempo is weird. Just, just, I mean, yeah. you can hear the saliva. You can hear his, his, the inside of his gums. It's really sad, right? But in like, I think it's the second episode, and I think it's a scene when he's, uh, he's, you know, communicating with the admiral, right, on the other ship, right? They let it's so obvious that they let him do his ADR recording without that dental prosthesis in there because he speaks very clearly and with his like in character. But there's none of that garbling stuff. Right. And he's speaking super clearly, I think, in English, if I remember correctly. And he's really um, he's coming across as clear as a bell. And I think it's a huge disconnect. And it really, you know, I think people would have been more willing to buy the visual distinctiveness of new Klingons if they didn't combine that together with the huge mistake of having to do their their dialogue recording with the prosthesis in. Because that just really kind of was I think it was just too much for everyone to take. You know, you got subtitles, you got a different look, and you got the garble, garble, marble mouth thing. It just, it really turned into a bit of a train wreck. If they'd let everyone record like that is in that one scene, you go back and watch it, and the guy sounds great. It's the same actor, but he's just not impeded by that prosthesis, and it made a huge difference. So I totally get what people are saying. Um, I do, I do think though that, uh, well, I'll, I'll wait till it's later on, but I just, I love the fact that they took some great visual risks and didn't say, let's just do everything the same so that no one gets upset because it's just like, I think that's, that's one of the things the show, uh, has always done is if they want to try things and, and otherwise, you know, what the, what's the point? And yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Paul, the, when I was watching these episodes to me, it feels like a movie. It doesn't feel like a TV show. It's got yeah, this, this scope. It's million bucks an episode or something. Yeah, it looks, right? it's it like looks dynamite, yeah. right? I it, mean, it really does. I mean, the way it's lit, it, uh, it's really sharp. When you first see, uh, it's in one of the flashbacks, I think it's the start of episode two, if I remember, like uh, Binary Stars episode, where um, uh, it's like a flashback, and you see Michael Burnham and Sarek come into the transporter room. And just the yeah. way the transporter room is lit, 
with those kind of lateral uh, arrays on there, very different looking, like giant radar dishes. It's just badass. The lighting's super cool. They, they, the money is all on screen, right? I mean, you cannot really, there's a lot of good stuff to look at, and this show looks dynamite, right? Really, really, it really sharp. It, it really impressive. And I, I love the Klingons. I love the fact that they made the Klingons truly alien and truly different. And that I enjoy, I liked. I was very happy that they did that because, you know, the, the, the Klingons should be different because when we become friends with them later on down the road, it just shows how humanity has grown, that, that being different doesn't make you scary, doesn't make you something else, and we're, we can accept Klingons for being Klingons. So I, for one, was thrilled huh? that they made them look different. And the other thing that I like, well, let me, which I think Eric pointed out, is that there are actually 24 different houses of Klingons. There's not, there's not like one Klingon in 24 houses. Each individual Klingon house is different from the other 24 Klingon houses, which I think is great as well. Because all well, yeah, and, and Jim, you see... Yeah, sorry, Charles, I get, uh, sorry to interrupt, but just like you see a lot of diversity in that one scene where the houses finally show up and you get the holograms of them, and I, I really like that part. What were you going to say, Charles? I was going to say, well, <clears throat> we're so used to Star Trek Klingon being a standard shade of brown, except for one specific Klingon. Whereas this one, we have an albino Klingon, we have different shades. We have ones that are almost black in color. We've got different different looks in these Klingons. Sometimes even how they sit there and put face makeup on to represent their specific houses. We got a different look and feel to a Klingon. <clears throat> and in previous Star Treks, you had they may sp- speak a little Klingon. And translate straight to English. Whereas this case, they're on a Klingon ship, they're going to speak Klingon. And the only time he went to English is I think he was plugged in a universal translator, which then the ship translated to to English. Um, I don't think that's how it was, because even in the very beginning of this episode, Kakuma was speaking in Klingon, and then at the very end of that speech, he spoke in English, we come in peace. So technically, was there a translator? They didn't really show it, so I guess it's kind of going back and forth. I think he knows a little bit of English. Maybe. How Starfleet speaks. But I mean, if you're going to speak that way to your, you know, fellow (laughs) commanders or, you know, crew who might not know English, I thought that scene was a little strange. (laughs) Well, well, an I example think, of this is this is how Star Trek this is how Starfleet acts. Yeah, I mean, and I guess if like to me the point is, if you had seen this type of an episode made back in the day, you probably would have seen the Klingons speaking English. And I believe that what the makers of Star Trek Discovery are trying to do is they're trying to bring authenticity to the race, and so they. You know, they do it in the native language. Uh, you know, the makeup prostheses are what they are, and I totally agree with Paul on that. But they also went back to 
Gene's kind of original ideas on what the Klingons should look like, right? They like Gene didn't originally want the Klingons to be turtle heads that could be, you know, replicated for 26 episodes in a season. He had he had them looking in original sketches way more uh you know, alternate, different, foreign, um something that might be scary to to human beings. And so I think the the point of discovery was to try and like bring some of that flavor uh, back into Star Trek and also bringing the like phase two ship designs back into the discovery itself. Right. I yeah, like that the, you just said flavor. Yeah. Flavor. Yeah. And uh, I think, I think, uh, I think uh, you're right, Eric, that a lot of the design for the clean on aesthetics of the way they look and ship wise, uh, I think they were all the original design that Jane Roddenberry had brought to the table, but they couldn't do it back in the 60s because, you know, there was no money for it. But the idea, though, was to just copy of what Jane originally wanted in his uh, imagination to happen, to be put on screen, was something similar to what we just saw in Discovery. Now, as I had said before, like back in a couple episodes ago, like the reason why these Klingons look so different from the others, well, like we were just talking about, you know, there's 24 houses. What if they were all different looking per se? To, I mean, not individual, but like just uh, as a whole, where each individual clean on from their houses might look something different to others compared to, you know, what we know today. Because in a way, if you go back into the Enterprise era, which is still one of my favorite uh, reasons why the Klingons look so different between Kirk era and what we see now was because they were doing genetically modified uh, genomes to make themselves more stronger, and they didn't want any other race to like beat them because you know that that genetic stuff was just like making them win more battles and for the glory of honor or whatever. And so it's just that that idea, that story plot moved over now with that genetic modification that what they put themselves into over generations made them mutated in a good way to make them strong or whatever. But, you know, it just causes them to look different over generations. So to me, I can see this becoming a situation where, yes, they are different from series to series, but they're still clean on at heart and that's what they strive for. And, you know, it doesn't really matter what the color of your skin or how you look. It's just all depends on what you are representing as a whole. So to me, that's how I figure out why they look so different from series to series. And didn't, wasn't it great to actually see Sarek show up as well? I thought it was a great way to introduce uh, James Frame as Sarek. And I really loved his portrayal. Of yeah. Sarek, I thought he, he did actually a great kind of looks job. like him. Yeah, I mean, I was I was impressed with with uh, with that and Amanda as well. And uh, well, we don't get we don't get him. Yeah, and so Jim, can we talk about Sarek for a second? So we do get something Absolutely. new. We do get something new in these first two episodes that we've never seen before with Vulcans. And I will say that I love all of the like Sarek taking care of Michael as a child stuff because you you sort of see his like emotional side without it being necessarily explicit but um but then he does this weird like 
communication over long distance as Michael yeah. Burnham is in the the cell as the Shenzhou is blowing up. And I just I want to I want to talk a little bit more about that. Um, my understanding of like Vulcan stuff up to this point was that like. Spock was kind of a special guy because he could mentally influence people through walls and do that kind of stuff. I don't know that every Vulcan could do that. Most Vulcans rely on touch, I think, to influence things. Now we're talking long-distance stuff. So did that kind of addition to the canon bother anybody, or was it was it uh, a cool part of the story that everybody felt comfortable with? Uh, I think he just had an upgrade in Wi-Fi. I don't know. <laughs> no, well, he, uh, refers to, he, he refers to it as I, his Katra, right? Doesn't he? I mean, yeah, I'm pretty Katra, sure. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know, because well, that's we, like right out of like the movies, right? So I think the audience is familiar enough with that that they are willing to like go with it to some degree. And the fact that they're expanding on it a little bit for whatever the needs of the immediacy of the story were, they're like, okay, we need to be able to have him have this conversation. And so we're just going to hotwire and tweak it a little bit. And I think it's always you got to just, you know, I think that's you know, a reality of, of episodic television, right? Is I know there's a lot of belief in the idea of this thing that's canon, but canon is always subservient to the immediate needs of the story and their production, period. Yeah, and, and I want it will to, be as malleable as the producer says it is, right? It's I want like to his, jump you know, in. Truly. I want to throw in something here from my favorite movie, the ultimate Star Trek movie, the best Star Trek movie ever made. Star Trek Five. Oh Star Trek Five. One of the abilities that Cybok has, and what makes Cybok so dangerous, and why he's exiled, is Cybok can do exactly what Sarek did. He can control people's. I don't want to use the word control. What's the word? Enter. Feel your pain is what you're looking for. He yeah, can influence. He can, he's an influencer. He can influence people. From instances, he doesn't rely on touch to do it, and that's why he's exiled because he he uses his abilities to get what he wants. And Cybok, uh, not Cybok, Sarek, kind of uses that same technique with Michael Burnham. And the reason he explains it is because she almost died, and he infused his Katra into hers, kind of like McCoy and Spock in Star Trek Three. So you know, I was kind of like I was down with it. I thought it was it was kind of made sense to me after because of I'm a fan of Star Trek five and I read I read up on Cybok. So for me I was yeah. like, oh cool. They're kind of expanding on the Cybok feel your pain thing. That actually kind of makes sense now as you said that because it almost makes it sound like it's a superpower where it's almost like it's outlawed on Vulcan where if they find out you have it, you get exiled. And they don't want that kind of danger in their society, so they suppress that kind of stuff, I guess, in an emotional state. And so I guess that's why Sarek was only using it for a dire need to save Burnham. And in that case, mm-hmm. you know, he probably didn't. I don't. I don't actually remember if he ever did use it again after that. And he also says further. it takes a real physical toll to do yeah. it. I mean, yeah. He kind of flinches and, and acts like he's under great duress, right? So it's. I think it's something that. In all likelihood, you know, Vulcans who've uh, attained an advanced degree of practicing the way that Sarek would have, the way that Spock would have, um, Colinar, yeah. can do that. Yeah, but, they, yeah. but, but it takes a real toll on you. It's not easy to do. So I think he so, just only does it in extreme circumstances or whenever the screenwriter wants it to happen, right? <laughs> <And> <laughs> the question, David, he did do it again. Well, 
it wasn't him, it was Michael, it was the reverse. Uh, okay. In the episode when he's dying in the in the nebula uh, because the stalagmites blew it up. Um, yeah. Michael and reaches out to him to, to, to locate him using that same exact technology. Technique. But he, she so, ended up using technology to help her because she didn't actually have it, per se, like a superpower. Right. Tilly so. put some type of uh, uh, oscillating whatever on yeah. her forehead to magnify Sarek's brainwave tech, whatever. They did a bunch it's of Wi-Fi or something. But, you know, but yeah. maybe this but is like a common theme that we see throughout Discovery is this whole idea of like communicating closely in different ways, right? And yes, as you guys are saying, they expand upon the canon a little bit with what happens after there's a small Kotrick transfer when you do a mind meld. Maybe it creates this like special connection that once you attain a certain level, you can uh, communicate across vast distances. But the point is that it's all about teamwork. It's about people working together and like people coming <laughs> yeah. to the aid of other people which is, I think, one of the big themes in Star Trek Discovery. It's, it's not, you know, it's not the Captain Kirk, I'm in charge, and yes, I have my bones in my spot, but really, I'm making the decisions. It's more like, no, this is a team effort, yo. Let's all talk about it and see what everybody thinks is going to happen. Now, yeah. did you guys, when you, uh, I, I know we talked about this in 2017, but it's been a long time, so let's come back to the table with it. Do you guys actually feel that Michael Burnham started the Klingon war? No, no. There's a whole, yeah. there's a whole misunderstanding here. There really yeah. is. And like, in my opinion, there's a whole misunderstanding, right? Because she, like, I, like Paul, I went back and rewatched these episodes, and she takes control of the bridge right after she Vulcan neck pinches Giorgio. Giorgio's in the back. She comes out. She's like, yo, arm the photon torpedoes. Get this stuff ready. We're going to cut the neck off the thing. And Saru's challenging her the entire time. And then everything gets shut down when Giorgio comes back on the bridge and points the phaser at her and puts her in the brig. And so at that point, her responsibility ends. But unfortunately, like three seconds later is when the Klingons attack. So the only way that I could possibly see that Michael Burnham is at all at fault is if somehow the target locking of the Shenzhou against the sarcophagus ship actually, you know, brought the Klingons up to a state of level, like where they were ready to attack. That's the only thing other than, you know, and you could, uh, you could say that, you know, from their perspective, right. The fact that she, you know, uh, accidentally, yay or nay is responsible for killing the warrior on the outside of the ship. Right. You know, jamming his bat leather into him. And he has, that could be their justification that she's responsible for starting the war because that's the act. She draws first blood, be it in per, you know, uh, deliberately or not. Right. She does kill a Klingon. Right. So and do you, that do you think that's their the perspective? But is that uh, the know. Klingons? Is that the Klingons reason for being aggressive or is that Starfleet's reason for blaming Michael Burnham? I would say the latter. I mean, I think the latter, but it's just like, you know, it's one of those things that it, I think it, which character is speaking, right? It's just like, you know, you could see it go a lot of different ways. I mean, some of the, the Klingons that are featured in that, uh, that you know, when they show all of them coming and they're all very diverse looking and uh-huh. first group, I'm, I'm sure there's somebody who would use that as an excuse, right? But, uh, yeah. but it's, it's, you have all these different houses. It's a little muddy. You know, initially, yeah. but uh, yeah, but, yeah. I, I don't think the Klingons are pointing fingers really per se at a particular person because they don't know her name. They just know it's a human. They're thinking that it's they they, they started it first probably, and so well, Takuma like talks about Michael killing the torchbearer though. Like he yeah. does talk about that yeah. with the twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah. 
So oh, so they do point. know her by name? Well, they don't know her name, but they know okay. that somebody from Starfleet killed the torture. Oh, yeah, that, that's I think Takuvma like, says, if I remember correctly, Takuvma says, that really smoke show girl from The Walking Dead <laughs> who's very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I remember him describing it. From the exactly. historical documents, that's how that we know very, That very petite and interesting-looking woman with the short hair who changes <laughs> a lot from one episode to the next. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, clearly. But I, I, was, I was just kind of like going off of what Paul was saying, like, you know, she, they probably just don't know her pointing fingers and saying that what uh, Jim was saying, like, it did, Michael Burnham started. So technically, I guess it was actually, from the Klingon perspective, the human started the war. But right, the but, the, side, but, this is, but this is a whole, this is the philosophy, I was not kidding at the intro where I was talking about waxing philosophically about this because the yeah. whole concept of remain Klingon like to me that's one of the brilliant parts of these first couple episodes is that the klingons you it, when upon re I, th- I don't think it reads right away the very first time you watch these episodes i will admit but at, upon rewatch i think what you get is that the klingons are scared that the federation is expanding unchecked mm-hmm. and the klingons have a very kind of you know it's a warrior-like society, but they're also – they're not acting out of fear, but they're acting out of like, listen, hey, uh, if we don't do something, you guys are just going to keep hegemonizing us. And I think that's the, the yeah. thing that the, we, we've talked about that. David and I have talked about that. You know, are, are, you saying, uh, are you saying, Eric, that the, uh, that the light of Kalos is like a uh, fraternity bamboo torch and that <laughs> the Federation will not replace us? Is that what I'm well, hearing? <laughs> well, I mean, well, yeah, I, in, in some ways I – yeah, I mean, They're in some ways I <laughs> – yeah, I mean, I think in some ways I am saying that, Paul, yeah. I, That's I, what I, I thought, think, yeah, okay, because yeah. I think it's a really valid point. I think it yeah. is. It's like they're, they are so hung up on racial purity, right? Yeah. I mean, that seems to be where they're coming yeah. from, right? And anything that is different and dilutes their, you know, uh, machismo or what have you, right, is a threat. It's true, but I also think there's a reflection on the Federation here because from – the Klingons' perspective, the Federation has a tendency to come in and impose their culture on people that they interact with. And right. I think that the Klingons are very proud of their culture, and they feel like if, the, you know, on this edge of Federation space between the Alpha and Beta quadrants, if the Federation even has an inkling of aggression, just even a thought of going just a little bit further, that is literally a attack on the Klingon culture. And that's what Takuvma yeah. is trying to yeah. prevent in these first couple episodes, is he's trying to convent, like prevent hegemonization of his culture by the Federation. But so he's I'll also like this... a rampant opportunist who is no, re- he is, using the situation and he's a to really zealot. seize power. Yeah. 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 There's, there's no question that this guy is like, he's a cult of personality, right? Oh, but... yeah. He's, he's very excited to like, you know, no one will <laughs> accuse me of mumbling and they yeah. will respect me with my <laughs> big outfit if I'm able to bring all the houses together. And, so uh... so <sighs> then I'm curious, Paul, so then do you see him when you watch these episodes – do you just see him as kind of like a you know false prophet or something who's preaching whatever he needs to preach to the 24 houses? Or do you see him as a reflection of Klingon culture? Because that's the way that I see him. I see him as a reflection of Klingon culture. And so what I have to ask myself in my own culture is, does that have validity? 
is there a way that I have to respond to this that, you know, initially I may think he's racist or I may think he's this or that, but it's his culture, man. So do I have a responsibility I, to respond? I got to it? say, I feel like, I think that both are valid. I really yeah. do. I think that there can be an initial concern about something that might come from a place of, you know, concern and uncertainty and wanting to like, you know, protect your lineage and be fond of your history and all that stuff. But I think what, what we see happen on the show and what we see happen in life, sadly, is that, that a lot of times those, those good intentions, it's the, it's those good intentions that are uh, brought up in a crucible of fear-based reasoning where you are afraid of the other, right? And and your actions are motivated by being afraid of something rather than protecting something, right? That is where the shitstorm starts and where things go wrong and get warped and perverted. And then pretty soon you're on a power mad quest for, you know, complete dominance and defiling anybody who comes near you. So it's a, it's when, and I, Slippery slope. We're, we're wrestling with this in this country so much right now. It's the, the behavior driven out of fear. That is, if you've got to always constantly self-examine and if you're behaving that way, be careful of what choices you make. Well, I think, I think that the Kuma was a really radical right leaning Klingon. And I, I don't think that the majority of the Klingons uh, were that far to the right as to Kuma. And I think that Laurel proves that later on when she becomes uh-huh. chancellor. Yeah. I think that Laurel is more even keeled than Takuma was. He was yeah. like so far one side of the spectrum. Um, yeah. The other the- houses, are you, he's like the Matt Gates of the Klingon Empire, right? It's like the other yeah. houses are all like, we're never going to be able to like prevent the empire from shutting down and running out of like money if you, you know, keep railing around like this. No, but but yeah. Cole yeah. is but Cole is the one who actually or Core, sorry, is the one who goes to Cole or Core, I can never remember, but the the guy that the one guy plays talks to him in a very racist way, right? He's talking to him about like racial stuff that doesn't have anything to do with uniting the houses. So I guess what I'm saying is that it's not just that he's on the right of things and like he's uh, got a conservative outlook or religious outlook or however you want to look at what Takub is saying, uh, especially once Vogue gets involved, the other Klingons' true colors sort of come out, right? Yeah. It's interesting. It's really interesting. There's yeah. a lot to, a lot to dig in there. All right. You know, it's interesting. It's just like I, uh, you know, I just got to throw out real quick because I know we're like under the clock here. I mean, we've got like half an hour less to show yet, and we haven't even done birthdays. But, um, uh, but uh, for me, it's just watching these two episodes again. It's it's really curious, and I've never really delved into much of behind the scenes stuff in terms of like the writers' room or what they had going on. But it's like it is so interesting that these first two episodes are so different from where the first rest of the first season went right it's like if you start in with episode three it's like discovery doesn't even show up until episode three jason isaacs doesn't even show up until episode three right and you've got this huge thing that one of our uh, comments that eric read even even talked about right it's a deal breaker for a lot of folks this whole mutiny Vulcan pinching your captain, taking over, lying to the bridge crew. I mean, I, Michael Burnham seems to have these great uh, uh, justifications for what she's doing, right? She, she thinks she's doing the right thing. She's really, you know, everyone thinks they're doing the right thing until they commit an act of violence, right? That uh, alienates themselves from what a more noble purpose should be. And I kind of got to get on board with the, the one guy. It's just like, I think that she's really 
kind of goes too far. I mean, episode two ends with her being sentenced to life in prison for mutiny and stripped of her ranks. And it's like at some point by episode three, four or five or whatever, the writers are just like, okay, it, episode three feels like they're rebooting the series. Like they, yeah. they almost wrote themselves into a corner with those first two episodes. And, and you kind of see them trying to like, you know, align stuff so that things do fit with under some umbrella of Canon, but three onward feels like a hard reboot. I mean, it really does. I just wonder what, what went on behind the scenes there in terms of the thinking, the plotting and, and Burnham seems different. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different stuff from, from three onward. It's almost like they had well, a different I, well, I, I don't think it was a reboot I'm throw- uh, per se. I think that what it was is that we had to have in order for, Okay, first of all, I have to assume that they knew where they were going with these characters in the writing room before they filmed the episodes. We have to just go with that. So knowing that, they had to introduce us to good Giorgio, to Captain Giorgio, and have a way to get evil Giorgio there so that she could be redeemed later on in further seasons. So we had to have pre-Court Martial Burnham in order to meet Giorgio. And then we so it's almost like the Port first two Marshall. episodes are like a big prequel, almost, really, right? Well, it's, it's kind of prequel. almost like, you know, exactly. it's, it's like kind of, a, it's, it's, I think most shows would do it in like 20 minutes and not two hours, right? But it's just right. kind of like, exactly. but it's because it's, 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 it's so different. It, it really and is. And then they also well, said that Discovery was going to be the story of Michael Burnham. So we had to see Michael Burnham get busted down in order to watch her fight her way back up. So, in essence, we have two pilots, kind of like TOS with the cage. You know, we have the, the Vulcan Hello, Battle of Binary Stars, and then we have Context is for Kings, where Lorca and Discovery shows up, um, which we're not going to talk about today. Well, but yeah, you're, and you're I got to say, that feels like that's when the, the juice really starts flowing. I mean, that, that you know, well, once the, Jason Isaacs is a hell of a presence, and once he shows up, I really feel like it really is okay. We got some, like, real... I think the person who's the two people who are working the hardest in that first couple episodes are um, uh, are Saru and Giorgio. I just think they're just you know really chewing it and working hard, and they're great. Especially Saru, he, Doug Jones is just great in those in those first couple episodes. He is doesn't get a ton of screen time, but he makes the absolute most of what he's got. And I love Tilly. The introduction well, I love Tilly. But there's no Tilly ahead, until Charles. episode three, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I want I want to throw this in. Remember this, Michael's showing her Vulcan side in these first two episodes. Right. She's Especially a little more one. broken in episode three. But remember in one and two, she's she's focusing more on the Vulcan side, not her human side. But she's sure yeah, acting human with her means- emotional behavior. She's acting really unpredictable. She's got very little impulse control. To me, it's like uh, uh, whatever your rationale I actually, may be. I to- actually completely disagree with that, Paul. Because really? I think yeah, because the whole point is that when she meets the Klingon, she doesn't know what to do, and so she comes back and she consults Sarek, and she says, "Sarek, dude, I don't know what to do. What's the logical way to look at this?" And he tells her what the Vulcans did when they met the Klingons. And so all of her 
reactions at the beginning with trying to give him the Vulcan hello are all based on logic. And to but me, there's no there's no, uh, there's no willingness to, to a logical person would say, hey, there's going to be consequences for mutiny. My life is over and, and not maybe make that choice. But she does what to me feels really uh, uh, you know, hastily thought out. I mean, it feels, it feels it feels noble to me because it feels like the thing that she did because she felt like it would save the crew, like mm. it would save the most yeah. lives in the end. Interesting. Well, I don't know that that came across in the writing for me though. Maybe not. I hate to, I hate yeah. to cut this off, guys, because I I'm loving this discovery conversation, and I really think we need more of it. But we do have other stuff to talk about, <laughs> and we <laughs> have birthdays. <laughs> And I wanted to I wanted to get everybody's overall scores on this episode before we moved on to birthdays because we're down to uh, 26 minutes. <laughs> so oh my, uh, we better read fast. Yeah. So uh, David, you've been awful quiet. What what's your overall rating for the first two episodes? Well, I'm <clears throat> I'm giving uh, the first episode uh, a seven. The second episode. Uh, even though it's called Battle of the Binary Stars, which could be confusing with the binaries. Um, <laughs> um, I'm definitely going to be giving that episode a 7.5. So to rough it out, um, I don't know if we're doing individual episodes or just an overall. No, but, um, whole episode. Yeah, total. Oh, the total. So okay, 7. so. 5. Huh? So you're saying it's 7.5. 7. 5. 7.25. 7.25 would be the total. So you're you the two of them together to get a score. Is that it? <laughs> yep. I skipped. Exactly. The rubric's a little muddy, gentlemen. <laughs> All 7. right. 2. How about 5. you, Charles? Uh, I'm going to give this one a solid nine. I liked what they did with these episodes. Yes, we didn't know what the backstory was, but I think they did a really good opener with this one. And you know what? When Giorgio kicks Lorca in the face and he's uh, behind her, oh my God, he's ten all the way. Oh wait, but that's not in the episode, episode, so we can't we can't back <laughs> okay, right. in there, big guy. <laughs> that's next season. That. Oh my God, when the tardigrade shows up, no, when they're in their thirty-second century season. Yeah. What about right, the well, time the trouble made that noise? <laughs> I'm going to uh, me. I'm right there with I'm right there with Charles. I'm going to go with a nine on this one. On these two. How about you, Eric? Uh, I think I'll average it out to an eight. I thought the first episode was better than the second. Uh, so I give the eight and a half and then a seven and a half averaged out to an eight. And Paul, you get the caboose, buddy. Yeah, I would say um, first episode of the two, definitely the stronger one. I think a little bit cleaner, uh, a little bit sharper uh, construction of the script on there. I would average them together. They go and say together, uh, I would say an eight for number one and a seven for the second. So call it a 7.5. That's as much math as oh, it There it is. There's a decimal. It's <laughs> averaging, though. I would never go. give an I would Because you're making me average, I would never give a, a decimal to a single episode. Well, then that rounds to an 8. Because no, I'm no, not a barbarian. Barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> so, Charles, how do we stack up with our fans? With our fan scores? Well, our fans gave it a 7.1. The host gave it an 8.2. Interesting. All right. I am. There All you right, go. Guys, I, 
I would love to keep talking about Discovery because I have, as I said, I've watched all of season one. I'm into season two, and I'm loving every minute of it. But we do have to move on. Season five, the final season, is on its way, and I've got a special treat for you guys. That's right. I have right here, and I'm about to play it for you guys. I have the brand new theme song, and you know what's coming for Discovery Season 5. It hasn't been played anywhere before. This is the premiere of the Star Trek Discovery Season 5 theme song. I hope you guys enjoy it. Put him in the angel suit, she will never fail. To lead her ship on future trips, to save the spirit aid Saru was softly through and through, but I'm sure and true. The crew went all the way that day on a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. Time travel was very rough, and Burnham paid the cost. That day Saru saved the whole dog crew, but Discovery was lost. Discovery was lost. They splashed the ship right down, you see, in the 32nd century, with Berlinum and Mr. Saru. Oh, Wushukun and Edmer, the Emperor, the Doctor and Samuelson, here on Discovery. Hear my tale of discovery, a crew who's not all fine. They'll have to do the best they can to fit into this new time. Burnham and Captain Saru will do all that they can to take care of their crew, you see, and execute the plan. New races, world relationships, and new technology. Discovery was an ancient ship as primitive as in me. So turn up on each Thursday night right here on your TV. You never know what you will see here on Discovery. You heard it here first, guys. The Season 5 theme song for Discovery. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Just get you guys going. All right. You ready for some Star Trek birthdays? What do you say? All right, let's do it. That was not a Klingon song. All right, guys, this is a part of the show where we do our Star Trek birthdays, and we always start off our Star Trek birthdays by remembering those members of our Star Trek family who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, Jen, this week we're remembering Vincent Schiavelli. He's the character actor who appeared as the holographic Minosian peddler in the Next Generation first season episode, The Arsenal of Freedom. Over 150 credits to this guy's name. Go look him up. It's pretty amazing. Vincent Schiavelli would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday as well to William Francis, a.k.a. Billy Bastiani. Uh, he's the actor who played Omog, that uh, lovely Ferengi in the Next Generation fifth season episode, Unification 2. Happy birthday as well, uh, and lots of love and remembrances going out to Brian Keith. He is the Emmy Award-nominated actor who played Mulibach, DS9 first season episode, Progress. Uh, Emmy awarded uh, Award-nominated actor, Uh, He's won some things along the way, just really important actor who has lots and lots of credits. You should look him up, Brian Keith, 
would have had a birthday just two days ago. Also, happy birthday this week to Theodore Ted Sorrell. He's the actor who played Cavill in the DS9 first season episode, Duet. Happy birthday to Ted Sorrell. And happy birthday as well to Thalmus Raslulala. He's the actor who portrayed Captain Donald Verily in the TNG second season episode, Contagion. I want to spend just a little bit more time on this man because uh, he's pretty prolific and important. Uh, he, of course, started out his career on One Life to Live back in the 60s, but then quickly became a star of several black exploitation films, including Blackula and Cool Breeze and a couple other things along the way. He, if you don't know him from those films, he's probably best known uh, as Bill Thomas in the sitcom What's Happening, which he portrayed from 1976 to 1977, was in television all over the place back in the 70s and 80s, and eventually would appear with LeVar Burton in Roots as Amoro. Uh, so happy birthday to Thalmus Rasulala, and that does it for our remembrances, passing the birthday candle to Charles. Okay, thank you, Eric. I'll try speeding through some of these. Let's start off with a happy birthday to Keith Sutherland. A former child actor who lent his voice to Sepik in Star Trek animated series first season episode yesteryear. And had the chance of getting in that episode? Well, he happens to be the son of filmation director Hal Sutherland. Happy birthday to Don Murphy, a Dominican-born Canadian actor who betrayed Captain Maddox in Star Trek Discovery's first season episode, Wolf Inside and Vaulting Ambition. Happy birthday to Chris Dimitrio, a former actor who played John Luke Riker and Ethan in Star Trek's Next Generation fourth season episode, Future Imperfect. Happy birthday to Mason Gooding, American actor who played Gabriel Hawing in Star Trek's Picard's first season episode, Stardust City Rag. Happy birthday to Tara Rosling, actress who's portrayed as President Turing in the third and fourth season episode Discovery. Hopefully we'll see her again in season five. Happy birthday to Missy Pyle, the actress who voiced the interrogator in Star Trek Lower Deck season episode Strange Energies. Has also appeared in Galaxy Quest and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Happy birthday to Bob Gunton, actor who played Max, Benjamin Maxwell in Star Trek Next Generation 4th season episode, The Wounded. And then my last two, I think, are an interesting pair. Happy birthday, Wallace Shawn, American actor and playwright who played Grand Nega Zek on Deep Space, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine. Inconceivable! Uh, also, yeah, known for his work in Princess Bride, Stargate SG-1, and Toy Story. But if we got one Negus, why not two? <laughs> On the same day. Wow. Happy birthday to Max Grochek. Actor best known for portrayal as Rom and Grand Negus Rom on Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Lower Decks, as well as appearing as Sovak and Parlinar in TNG. But I just find it fascinating that two 
two negatives born the, born, having the, born the same day. Not the same year, but I share the same birthday on the same day. Had to put those two together. This is the way. This is the way. And with all of that, (laughs) and with all that, I pass it on to Paul. Thanks, Charles. First of all, let's say happy birthday to Harley Venton, the actor who played Ensign Collins in the Next Generation fifth season episode, one of my favorites, Ensign Rose. Outstanding episode. Outstanding episode. It's also birthday time for Dana Snyder, the actor who voiced Bragu in the very short Treks episode, Worst Contact. We got all kinds of birthdays lining up here, and including Rhonda Aldrich, actress who played Madeline in the Next Generation episodes The Big Goodbye, Manhunt, and Clues. I believe Madeline was like uh, 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 the secretary, right? For, um, uh, yeah. For, yeah. Yeah, for Dixon for, Hill. Yeah. For Dixon yeah. Hill. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty sure that was the character. So. Yep. Thank you, gentlemen. Also, it's Margaret Reed's birthday, the actress who played Dr. Sarova in the Next Gen episode, seventh season episode Force of Nature. We're also sending birthday greetings and a hearty kapla to Dan Shore, actor who appeared in Next Gen third season episode The Price as Arador, as well as Star Trek Voyager's third season episode False Prophets, with an F, not a PH. Mm-hmm. Actress Tracy Scoggins, who a lot of us have seen in a lot of different things, she's the actress from Texas who played uh, Gilora Rejal in the Deep Space Nine episode Destiny, and hitting the pause button to send much positive energy and appreciation to absolute luminary Whoopi Goldberg, actress and comedian par excellence who portrayed the legendary Guinan from season two through season six of Star Trek The Next Generation. She has reprised that role uh, in the film Star Trek Generations, Star Trek Nemesis, and of course, a couple of episodes of Star Trek Picard. Whoopi Goldberg, we salute you for all the heart and talent and perspective that you bring to your roles, especially to us here on Star Trek. We love you. And uh, come on the show. We have a really good time with you. (laughs) Uncle Jim, take it away. All right. Well, continuing on, we've got a few more birthdays here. We want to say happy birthday to Deborah Strain, uh, age 72. Talar in the Deep Space Nine episode. Rules of engagement. Where, do you, where does she fall, Eric? Good, evil, neutral? Uh, I think she's okay. Yeah, she's okay. She's okay. Yeah. Yep, I would agree. I think she's okay. Yeah, she's in that, in that okay realm. Yep. Very few, but she's one of them. There, uh, we also well, say, you know, when you, get <laughs> in, when you get into the Vulcans, they tend to be really good as long as they're not secretly Romulans. True. True. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we also want to say happy birthday to Rebecca Whiskey, age 51, the American actress who played Ramda in Star Trek Picard first season episodes. The end is the beginning, absolute candor, and broken pieces. We also want to say happy birthday to Scott Rinker. He played the role of Anar Garib in Star Trek Enterprise fourth season episodes, United and the Enar. Uh, he was the guy that flew around in the, um, uh, what was that? Yeah, the ship that could change. The prototype ship, yep. Yep. Uh, We also want to say happy birthday to J.C. Brandy. She's 47. She's a British actress and musician who played the role of Marta Banditos in Star Trek The Next Generation, sixth season episode, Tapestry. That was Picard's pseudo-girlfriend? 
I believe. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and One of if many. you paid attention, <laughs> she was mentioned in Star Trek Picard. She because, was. Yeah, she was. So we got all excited when we heard that name. <laughs> uh, but if you're a horror aficionado like I am, uh, she appeared as Jamie Lloyd in Halloween 6 for Michael Myers. And not only that, but Kim Darby, another Star Trek person, was in that film, and the music was done by Alan Howarth. Um, so that's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I always do the Klingons last. So uh, this next one uh, is a pseudo-Klingon. We want to say happy birthday to Bill no, Bollinger. He's a real Klingon. Is he, is he a real Klingon? He, <laughs> he is a okay. real Klingon, dude. Yeah, he's just, you know, he just got different. I, I wasn't sure <laughs> if he was or not. Yep. But, uh, okay, he's the actor who played the albino in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, second season episode, Blood Oath. Which was a pretty cool episode. He's and a last, bad Klingon. <laughs> he's a bad, evil Klingon. We want to say plot to Peter Peros, who's 62 uh, this week, and he's the actor who appeared as the Klingon tactical officer in the Star Trek: The Next Generation second season episode, A Matter of Honor, one of my favorite episodes. He's the Klingon that befriends Riker when he gets the crap beat out of him on the bridge. Um, I couldn't find a name for him. I can't believe he didn't have a name, but I, I couldn't find it. And uh, that, my friends, wraps up our birthdays. And now it's time for some Star Trek. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level nine authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. Okay, take it away, Eric. Yeah, Jim, this week, unfortunately, we have one sad piece of information to share. Uh, One of my favorites from my childhood, Robert Butler, director of Batman and Star Trek, dies at 95 years old this week. Robert Butler, the longtime director best known for directing the pilot episodes of Star Trek and Batman, has died. Butler's family announced uh, Helner's passing through his obituary in the Los Angeles Times. Butler was the first director on Star Trek, filming a two-part pilot featuring Jeffrey Hunter as the ship's first captain. After notes from CBS executives at the time, Butler and Gene Roddenberry reworked the pilot a bit, which included the new casting of William Shatner as James T. Kirk. I read the script and said, this is just a palette of science fiction. Butler told the Television Academy in a 2004 interview, I remember talking to my wife about it and saying, this is too nuts. I don't know whether to do this. She said, uh, why don't you do it? So I did, he added. NBC saw the show and said we liked it. We wanted it. And we don't understand it. Do it again. <laughs> he, Butler then worked on the pilot for Ad, the Adam West starring Batman series in 1966. In an interview for a book released in, a support, in support of the series, the director revealed why he enjoyed working on the series so much. Quote, on pilots, everyone is hungry. Everyone is paying attention. Uh, uh, 
I get the uh, sorry. There's some weird typing here. Uh, he's in the behind the scenes look. There is less goofing around. Uh, they want to sell it. They want to get it on the air. So I think there's an air of seriousness here. He says, "How can I help? What can I do?" Butler is survived by his wife Adri, children Robert Jr. and Conrelia, and grandsons Rainer and Liam. The family of the late Helmer, a longtime trustee of the Directors Guild Foundation, asks that donations be made to the Directors Guild Foundation in lieu of flowers. So uh, Robert Butler, very important director in a lot of early stuff, uh, lived to be 95 years old, which is a pretty cool uh, place to get in life. I hope I make it to 95, but lots of love and remembrances and just uh, you know respect going out to the stuff that this guy did in his life. Uh, so Paul, passing Come the on, new Eric. thing on to you, buddy. Dude, 95 is so doable. Join me and have your consciousness downloaded into like an animatronic, like Android porn body. That's what there I'm going for. There we go. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, the sky's talking. the limit, friends. So why, <laughs> why, why be inhibited? Yeah, let it all out. Yeah. All right, I got news here for you, turkey lovers. The companion Thanksgiving special with Star Trek's John Billingsley. What in the hell am I talking about? Well, here's the thing. Star Trek's John Billingsley is beaming down with the companion a community-oriented platform for sci-fi fans. They are thrilled to announce the Companion Thanksgiving Special. This exclusive live stream event scheduled for November 18th, 2023, so let's do that's two days from now, so we're talking Saturday, friends. This aims to unite fans for a cause close to the stars' hearts, supporting the Hollywood Food Coalition. Fans will be graced by the presence of esteemed actors Michael Shanks, known for his role as Dr. Daniel Jackson in the acclaimed series Stargate SG-1, and John Billingsley, famous for playing Dr. Phlox on Star Trek Enterprise. Their participation in the live stream signals a unique opportunity for fans to interact with their favorite stars while contributing to a vital charitable cause. The Companion offers an exclusive green room session, an intimate five-person, 15-minute Zoom call with either Michael Shanks or John Billingsley. Michael Shanks is $250, John Billingsley is $150. These sessions bring fans close to their idols and contribute substantially to the charity. However, for the ultimate fan experience, one can choose to donate, <laughs> I'm checking my pockets for loose change, $20,000, okay? That's right, $20,000 a lot of... That is a I'm lot there. of platinum pals, okay? And, but that grants you a memorable dinner party in Los Angeles with John Billingsley. The Companion also offers free access to the live stream event for those who sign up for the Companion's free newsletter. By simply signing up, fans will secure their virtual seat to participate in this exceptional Thanksgiving gathering. Or if you wish to become a member for $39.99 per year or $10.99 per month, Hmm, what is twelve times ten ninety nine? That's a lot more than thirty nine ninety nine. I think I'm gonna recommend that you do the thirty nine ninety nine deal yeah. because otherwise that's a whole lot Ooh. of platinum. You can access their extensive back catalog of videos, podcasts, and articles along with tickets to at least two live streams per month with a value of around four hundred eighty dollars per year. Wow, that's a good deal. Tickets and donations to the event can be made at HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash go dot the companion dot app forward slash Thanksgiving special to join the companion's free newsletter and secure a free ticket to the live stream. Please visit HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash go dot the companion dot app forward slash TCS sign up dot period. The Hollywood Food Coalition has served the Los Angeles community. 
since 1987, providing nutritious meals to needy people. So it really is a good cause, friends, okay? I know there's a lot of dollar signs being bandied around here, okay? But this is a charitable event, okay? This is where you're trying to help people who are deserving of assistance, who just get some food around the Thanksgiving holiday. So it's it's really, it's, it's a good thing to be involved in. And I think you can feel good about some compassionate and empathetic uh, use of your hard-earned money. So this is definitely not a not something where someone's uh, not, you know, this is going where it's uh, most needed. So, so consider participating. These folks are committed to addressing food insecurity and making a positive impact on the lives of the underserved. So John Billingsley, it is great to uh, hear that you are still very active out there and uh, doing cool things along with Daniel Jackson from Stargate SG-1. I'll pass things over for the brief amount of time we have left to Uncle Jim. Yes, I have a quick story I want to squeeze in here. Netflix announces Christmas Day release date for Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, season one, just over halfway through Netflix Geek Week 2023, came the news that fans of Star Trek Prodigy had been waiting for. The first season of the acclaimed animated series will drop on Christmas Day. This was undoubtedly welcome news to the many fans of the show who were stunned in August when Paramount announced the show was being canceled by the network. Even though a second season had been greenlit and was nearing the end of production, shortly after that announcement, the show was pulled from Paramount Plus streaming service. After a huge outpouring of support from the fans, show producers vowed to finish their work and find a new home for the second season. Finally, in October, it was announced that the show was moving to Netflix, which is a great segue because, 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 Eric, who are we going to be talking to live on this show on Thursday, December 22nd? Oh, man, I'm so excited about this because there's been a little bit of a hiatus away from one of our good friends of the show, Aaron Waltke. We have not been able to get a hold of him because of the flux involved in Star Trek Prodigy. We had him on the show once back in the day to talk about the show. And now at last, at last, we can finally get him back to talk about uh, certainly the, the Netflix season one takeover Maybe we can cajole him into telling us something about that. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? That's right. And he's going to be here. So you guys give us a call, and you can ask all the prodigy questions that you want. Hopefully we'll be able to, to uh, canoodle some new information out of him as well. And guess what? That wraps up all of our time. No. Time to say goodnight, unfortunately. So I want to say ah! thank you. Much to our very own Paul for hanging out and trek talking with us tonight. Thank you, Paul. It was great, buddy. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Uh, interesting to go back and revisit the uh, uh, genesis of uh, a current show. And I want to. I want to. Before we go, uh, we're not going to be having a show next Thursday because oh. next Thursday is Thanksgiving here in the United States, so we will be dark on Thursday. So. I just want to throw that out there before I forget. Also, thank you so much to Eric for hanging out and truck talking with us. Thank you, Eric. You bet. It was. I agree with Paul. It was fun to talk about Discovery once again. I feel like we could do maybe two hours on Discovery. I don't know. It was fun you to know, talk about. We, you know what? If we want to, uh, we can just do that, and we can forego 
um, the rest of the format. We, I, I'm, I'm down for that if that's what you guys want to do. And I agree. I feel we could have talked about that a lot more. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll kick, we'll some kick good stuff the can there. around there we and go. see what happens. And, of course, thank you so much to our very own Charles for hanging out and truck talking with us. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. And I agree, a focus, dedication on maybe discuss, discussing season one discovery. I think we'd have a ball just chatting away with that. See, I mean, that, what we, that, that year. Yeah, what we didn't even get to was all of the people who said that um, that Star Trek Discovery begat strange new worlds, and I feel like that in and of itself yeah. is like an hour-long discussion. We, we, we can do well, that. And, we have a lot with no Star Trek, so we can make that happen. <laughs> yeah. And also, thank yeah, you to David for talking with us. Thank you, David. Mur, 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 mur. I'm going to go find a bone cow now. <laughs> it was really fun to talk to you guys. Chocolate milk. And I don't want to forget to say thank you to Neil for putting together this awesome artwork for us and for hanging out and, and, and sharing a little bit of his story with us. So thank you so much, Neil, for hanging out with us. And uh, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying that Star Trek fans are the best fans. You better believe that. Please, everybody, be good to each other. And Stay safe. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Enjoy some time off out there next week, friends. Take care of yourselves and enjoy. Watch for the moon, jumping over the moon. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.